Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Annette Mead. She's Senior Project Manager of the Storytelling Studio for USA Today Network and also Innovation Director at Gannett Innovation Lab. She talks with us about managing the multimedia project, The Wall, Unknown Stories and Unintended Consequences. This mega project designed to tell human stories about the U.S.-Mexican border won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize in explanatory reporting. Annette, you were one of the lead project managers on a, a multimedia approach called The Wall, Unknown Stories, Unintended Consequences, that won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for Exploratory Reporting. First of all, tell our audience about The Wall, what it is, and where they can find it. Sure. So uh, The Wall looks at what the consequences and um, some of the parameters around could we build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border, should we build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border, but mostly our mission with the project was to just educate people about what exists at the U.S.-Mexico border. As we got into this project, we realized that there wasn't a lot of comprehensive um, content available that looked at the, the border from end to end. And, and as, um, as we all know, this has become a really hot topic since, uh, since Donald Trump was elected president. Right. And, uh, and he built kind of his, um, his campaign around the slogan, Build the Wall. We realized that an awful lot of people that were chanting Build the Wall didn't really know what it was that they were talking about. So we just wanted to help people understand um, what the situation was at the border so that they could make educated decisions and, you know, carry on conversations about this, uh, knowing a little bit more. So you looked at places where there already exists walls, where there exist natural barriers, uh, checkpoints uh, along the way, uh, perhaps vulnerabilities along the way. You you looked at the, the wall as a comprehensive uh, the the border is a comprehensive unit. Yes, we did. So, um, as for, for the project, we uh, we flew from one end of the uh, border to the other uh, in a helicopter, and so we recorded footage, video footage of every inch of the border um, 
from end to end. And then in addition to that, we had reporter, reporters and photographers who were driving uh, along the border. So for they were really doing more of the on-the-ground reporting, um, trying to keep up as much as they could with, um, with the same time frame that the, that the folks in the helicopter were. But, but they were making stops along the way, talking to people, learning about the, the, um, the cities, the towns um, that were along the border. Um, there's an Indian reservation that, that the border cuts right through. There's a golf course that, um, <laughs> that if, the boor, if the wall were to be built, half of the golf course would be on one side and half would be on the other side. So there were just a lot of human interest type stories that, um, that we found along the way, in addition to some really difficult stories, um, you know, of some of the hardships that, that people face on the border. What surprised you? you you're a veteran journalist to done all kinds of reporting in in all kinds of ways uh, over your career. What surprised you in this project? I think that one of the things that surprised me was um, how quickly people latched on to this notion of building a wall um, and then how it just grew in, in, in such large proportion without any context around what that meant. Um, you know, we didn't hear much about uh, the details around what a wall might be. We didn't hear a lot of talk about the people who it would impact. We just, you know, with the same talking points kept coming over about security, um, people crossing illegally, drugs coming across illegally. Um, but, but what is going on on the border is so much more than that. And so I think um, I think I was surprised by by the fact that people were willing to jump on that bandwagon and go with it without a lot of um, understanding of what it was that that they were actually talking do, about. Do you think that they grabbed onto a symbol that uh, this would somehow protect the border or protect against illegal immigration and and didn't really think of the mechanics of it all? So, um, so personally, I feel that um, that that the immigration system is broken, and I think people understood that, and this just became sort of the rallying cry for that. But people, I, I also feel like people didn't um, didn't really look beyond that to, to try to come try to come around to solutions. Um, there was just a lot of here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong. Um, here's one solution, and it was build the wall. And in fact, um, there may be a lot of other solutions that would make more sense. And so that's that's one of the things that um, you know that I think I think people just found I, identified a problem, our immigration policy, but didn't really get to a point where they where, where they were willing to talk about more than one solution. You're a senior project manager for USA Today Network, and, and uh, you do all kinds of storytelling projects. How did you assemble your team uh, on this? Walk us through some of your early thought processes. Okay, we're going to do a story about the wall. How do we do that? Okay, so um, this started, um, the project was the brainchild of um, Nicole Carroll, who was at the time the editor at the uh, Arizona Republic, and the staff there at the Republic, who were who are they are on the border, um, or they're in Phoenix, so they're not far from the border, they're but they're, they're a border yeah. state, right? Um, and they, you know, they were at a, a Trump rally there in Phoenix, and were were just sort of overcome by by this chant, and you know. I, what I have already voiced was that they also right. re, that they realize that people don't really understand 
um, what it is that they're talking about. So they started to work with the, the newsrooms. We have newsrooms in all of the border states, so Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. So they worked with our other newsrooms to start to develop plans around how we could do this um, if Trump were to get elected, which, which of course he did. So that, that piece began first. And along with that, the, they were pulling in photographers and identifying photographers and videographers that could also work on the project. So the content gathering piece started first. I got involved a few months later um, when we were starting to talk about how we were going to present all of this digitally. Right. <laughs> and so that's where that's kind of the role that I play. I bridge that gap between the content producers, so the newsrooms, and the digital development folks, and um, and I'm I'm kind of working in both worlds, but trying to make sure that each side knows what the other side is doing, and that um, and that the work that we're doing complements, you know, one the what the, what we're doing on the digital side is going to fair is going to be a fair representation of what the content developers are producing. So when you look at a major project like this from from the digital side, are you looking at how do we make this appealing? How do we make this interesting? How do we make this interactive? How do we make this with bells and whistles? What 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 do you go through? I I, I know that that's oversimplified, but but you've got to be looking at this could be an outstanding print piece, but we've got to make it come alive. On the digital format, right. So really, all of the above, all of the things you mentioned, are all things that um, that we'll talk about. But uh, we want to, you know, we want to first identify the the types of content that we're going to have. So we knew we would have stories. We knew we would have videos. We knew that we were going to, um, with this video footage um, that, that we were taking end to end. Um, of the border. We wanted a way for people to be able to access that. So that was the interactive map that we built actually allows you to click on the map and pop open the video for that segment of the border and you can see what the border looks like right there. So that was a huge component and, and also something that's, that's very unique. I've never, I haven't seen it done anywhere else. So that was, that was something that really stood out about the project. But then we also decided that we wanted to do a virtual reality piece and we ended up um, adding on a podcast series. So there were, we knew there was a lot of stuff um, that needed to be accounted for. But um, so we wanted to just make sure that we were presenting everything um, in a way that allowed people to understand that there were different ways they could experience this. We didn't necessarily expect everybody to come read every story, watch every video look at the map, listen to all the podcasts. We wanted everyone, we kind of wanted to create a menu so that people could see that there were different types of ways to experience this content. And I assume that you would attract different audiences, perhaps. A podcast audience is not necessarily a print reading audience. It, it, it overlaps. They're, they're not totally distinctive, but you add different elements to your audience mix. That's right. And um, yes, we, we knew that some people would um, would read it in print, but we also knew that there might be people who are just, just want to watch the videos. And you could really get the sense of, of the majority of what we were trying to convey with the project by just watching the videos or by just um, reading the stories. Some people might, you know, really geek out on that interactive map, and that might be 
the only piece that they um, experience, but they'll get a lot out of that piece. So we wanted each different type of content to kind of stand on its own, hoping that um, if someone wasn't um, interested in consuming the whole thing, that they could get a good sense of our story from that one piece of content. I'm interested. Did you approach your video as sort of a, a documentary format as opposed to stand-up reporting? Yes. Yes, we did. So um, actually, each of the videos, um, I believe there's 15 videos uh, that are in the project, um, and each one we called them mini documentaries. So that was the style of the storytelling that we were going for. And and you made that decision early, mm-hmm. uh, and, and what did you base that decision on? So um, – one of the beauties of working for the USA Today Network is that the company has experts in all kinds of areas of storytelling across uh, across all of our markets. We have over 100 um, markets across the U.S. turns out that our folks in Detroit, are, we have a team in Detroit that's, that focuses on making documentary-type videos. So, uh, so they were pulled in as part of this project, and they really helped to establish the tone for what we wanted to do with those videos. But you're the one who's got to coordinate all of that and, and make sure all of that is pulling in the same direction at the same time. Well, I was really watching deadlines, checking in with everybody to make sure that, you know, that, that, that things were progressing. And, of course, there's going to be um, – bumps oh, in the road course, and course. and one of the things that um, I, I tried to be sensitive to was the fact that if the content creation took too long we weren't going to leave our, our developers enough time on the back end to develop and build the site um, certainly there was a lot of um, work that they could do to build start to build a framework and a foundation but we really needed content to start to populate that site make sure everything was working make sure we had uh, we th- that the designs were were presenting the, the design was um, was uh, translating over to present the content well and um, and we just didn't want to leave those guys without enough time on the back end. It did get a little squished, a little more squished than we would have liked. But uh, but that was kind of the role, the the job that I was trying to do was to keep everything moving, and um, and also just kind of survey the landscape of of the project and identify problems that we might be facing a week out, two weeks out, so that we could get out in front of those things. I know any time that I've done a major project of any kind, certainly not anything of this magnitude, you get a sense after you're finished and you sit back and you sometimes go, you this is just okay. Uh, or you get the sense, this is good. You know, did you have a sense that this was Pulitzer good or did you have a sense that it was just really good? I didn't really think about it as being Pulitzer good. Um, I, I just didn't think about it that way. I I, um, I was so close to the project that it was hard for me to be an objective observer. So I didn't feel like I could judge it. Of course, everybody, you know, when you do something like that, you hope that it receives recognition. Right. Um, but more importantly, we, we wanted people to, to, to see the project. But um, but other people around me, you know, w- would say those kind of things. And, and then we started to win other awards, which was an indicator that, that we, you know, it, it really was even more special, I think, than, than I realized personally. So the category that you won in was explanatory reporting, which, which 
I would argue, is a bit redundant. (laughs) 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 Reporting sort of by its nature is explanatory. But talk about that category. So – the explanatory part, so what we were trying to do with this was to educate people. We wanted to um, to show them something that they probably have never seen. We weren't really, uh, it wasn't breaking news at the time. We weren't writing breaking news stories. Uh, it wasn't opinion. We tried very, very hard to just talk to the people that were there and tell their stories. We weren't trying to tilt the conversation one way or another. We just wanted to give people information. And I think that um, is is what the, the explanatory, how, how explanatory, how we kind of fit into that explanatory category because um, because we were re, we really were sort of um, unveiling something that and offering people a way to learn about something that they they may not know about already. You have worked uh, for various organizations. Um, you've even done sports in in Chicago. I I, I read. Um, how is what you're doing now different from what you've done in the past in graphics and 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 other ways of presentation? So I I've tried um, in probably the last 15 years of my career I've, I've really tried to put myself in a position to be moving ahead dig- with the dig- as as everything has transitioned to digital i've really tried to be in a position where i can contribute to that and the the years that i spent in newsrooms are very it's very valuable to have that experience and it was really valuable on the wall project because i knew what the what the reporters what the editors um, we're going through. I knew their challenges, and so I. I you came I at it that. from a journalistic point of view, as opposed to a designer point of view. Right, but I had worked in the digital side of things enough that I also could talk that language. I I, I understood the needs on the digital side as well. So um, so I really felt very fortunate to be able to to have one foot in each world, um, and and try to help bring um, just to ele- my role in elevating the storytelling was just to be the person who made sure that everybody had what they needed, knew what they needed, and anticip- and I was trying to anticipate what they needed as well so that um, so that we can make sure we, we just uh, you know hit the mark with with the way that we presented the project. Would you have told the story the same way five years ago? We definitely would not have told the story the same way five years ago. I don't think that we would have um, had the technical ability to uh, to do some of the things that we did, especially with the interactive map. I don't I don't know that we would have um, would have been able to do that. I think that you know certainly we would have t- we would have built a digital website to house it, but uh, but I don't know that it would have been quite as sophisticated as as the site that we built. And I. I have to wonder, and I, I actually I, I think it's fair to say that the way that USA Today Network is now working as really a true news network is different than even five years ago. So I don't know that we would have had the opportunity to collaborate across the, the network like we did um, five years ago. So we really kind of set an example for how, um, how the company could work to create this kind of a project um, by pulling resources from all over the country to to find the best person to do the job that needs to be done and and plug them in and and you know and and that worked to our advantage we'll be back after this message 
The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. You mentioned that you have a virtual reality component to this. Uh, which is probably the most cutting edge at, at this moment. Uh, but doesn't that present also some brand new ethical considerations that you have to think about? Or are you showing something accurately? Are you showing it with a twist to it? Uh, talk, ab- talk about what you go through in making sure some things is – accurate and neutral as as it can be. So with the virtual reality experience with this project, um, what we were doing was we were were, in virtual reality, we're creating a topographical map so that you could literally stand on the border. And then we were recreating specific um, locations at the border. We used the flyover video that um, that was taken during that helicopter flight. We also had photos being taken all the way along the border so that we had photos for reference as well. All of that was converted into data. And so the, um, and I'm not a game developer, but the team that built this and USA Today is very lucky to have them are all former game developers. So they were able to use that data to recreate as accurate as possible um, what that landscape looks like and and what the what the the scenes look like when you stand in the river at um, at um, Big Bend National uh, Park when you um, stand at Mount Ris- Mount Cristo Rey and in El Paso, um, we just we went above and beyond in trying to get the accurate information to be able to render those things as close as as possible. And that's something that we talked about a lot and is always a focus. It's it's always. Uh difficult when technology always moves faster than laws or regulations or in in our business ethical considerations you're always confronting something new uh, that you never thought of before uh, but now you have a new technology that forces you to think about it yes that's true and um, and so I it's one of the reasons that I'm glad to be working in these mediums in a newsroom where journalistic ethics has have been something that's you know part of part of our job every day and so that translates over to these new technologies that we're 
um, that we're engaging with. The virtual reality, we're also doing augmented reality. So we have we have those conversations and we understand that there's a role for these things to play and and we but but not every story can or should be told in virtual reality or augmented reality so we really have to you know be careful and thoughtful about the the ways that we choose to use those tools and the stories that we tell with them in academic life we look at students and we try to look ahead to students who maybe still in their cribs now and but we see them using tablets in their strollers uh, and that tells us in academic life that we're going to have to teach these students differently because they're going to have different expectations they're going to learn things differently they may in fact be more experiential mm -hmm. learners than people that we've taught in the past. I assume you do the same kind of projection in the news business of saying, okay, we're, we're here in technology, but where do we have to be five years from now, 10 years from now? What's our audience going to expect from us uh, in the next decade? Are you part of those conversations? Uh, I. I'm, I'm certainly exposed to those conversations, and some of it is things that are very simple and behind the scenes. We know that we have to have our websites load up faster. We know that people expect to be able to click and see it right now, and so we can't have any spinning wheels while, pe while people are waiting the for it to load. The spinning wheel of death. The right? spinning wheel of death, we, or we can't, because we know that people will just move on to other content. So it's things like that that are sort of in the background, the, the, the technical performance of our websites, of our apps. We have to continue to keep moving forward around that. But, um, but in addition, we are, you know, we do continue to explore different storytelling um, techniques like the virtual reality. And even since we did the wall um, in, in, 20, uh, in 2017, we've pivoted and now we're doing a lot more augmented reality just because it's more accessible to more people. You know, all you need is a smartphone that has a camera to be able to access augmented no, reality. No, exactly. No additional equipment. No additional equipment. You don't need the headset. So, so we're, we're really um, pushing hard now into augmented reality. It's, it's not going to be that far out, I don't think, that there will be wearables that will, a headset that will look be more like a pair of glasses. So it won't be as cumbersome as what you see now. And so we're, you know, we're, we're looking at what, what might that look like and how do we position ourselves to be able to, you know, be at the front of, of, of developing content for that. So constantly you're looking at the industry and the development industry uh, you know, we had the Google Glass experience that didn't work, but that doesn't mean that it won't work in a different iteration uh, exactly. in, in, in the future. So you have this marriage between uh, producing content and also keeping your eye on how that content is going to be delivered. That's right. That's right. And and it's, you know, it's it's interesting because we, we, we really, um, we cover 
a wide swath of types of delivery of content. I mean, we we still have a lot of people who want to get a pay- newspaper um, and read it and hold and it, read it and, feel and it. hold it and feel it and and are willing to pay for that. But you know, at the other end, you know, we've got to be also engaging new audience and and, and younger audiences with uh, with newer technology that 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 we have to kind of meet people where they are all along that spectrum. And. I was interested in your using uh, game designers and game developers because uh, they're really steeped in an experiential kind of mode of, of delivery because if a game doesn't deliver a certain experience, people aren't going to buy it or, or they aren't going to use it. Uh, and And that being translated to a news experience, I am sure to many people in the audience sounds like a new concept. Well, you know, a radical concept. It's. It, I, I, I am honored to work with um, with the team that we have. It, it's our emerging technology team, and and they are all game developers, but they are so passionate about journalism. They're excited about the opportunity to use the skills that they developed in the gaming industry to 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 now. Not just un- not entertain people, but tell people tell stories that really can impact people's lives. And so, um, I think that I, I think USA Today is rather unique in the team that we have because, generally speaking, a lot of um, from what I know of, of of some of our competitors, they've developed their um, their virtual reality teams or their augmented reality teams around former journalists. So they've kind of brought them up and 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 kind of and taught them the skills. And instead, we went out and got the people who have the skills, who showed a, showed an interest and a passion toward journalism, and um, and it's worked out really quite well for us. And it it all all the things that we've talked about it still goes back to story, right? It still goes back to is this a story worth telling? And and if it is, how are we going to tell it the best possible way? That's right. That's right. Um, it is one of the challenges because we do have so many platforms now um, th- that we do have to consider what what will work best and where will it work best. And uh, and those are the conversations that, you know, that we have. I mean, if it were possible, I'm sure that we would sh- sh- tell more stories in more ways if we had the, the staff and the bandwidth to be able to do that, just just so that we could um, could try to capture different audiences. But generally speaking, um, you know, it, it would be only a project like the, the, with the scope of something like The Wall, where we would go so far and, 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 and use so many different platforms to tell a story. A lot of my contemporaries are dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> they, they're still lamenting the death of, of newspapers as, as they knew them uh, coming up through their careers. You seem to have uh, Really transcended that 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 gulf between old newspapers and and new ways of of delivery, and I I keep telling my colleagues that uh, you know th- there's more information now than ever there there's more media now than ever there are more exciting ways to tell stories now than than ever I'm more excited about journalism today than I've ever been. Well, I, that's. Wonderful to hear, and I, I would agree with you. And but it also, because there is so so much um, news out there, and so many different um, ways, or or I guess um, websites, other places where you can get your news, it's very competitive, and uh, sometimes 
it's hard to distinguish. We, we need to make sure that we're distinguishing ourselves by the quality of journalism that we're putting out there and um, the accuracy and all of those things that make us a credible source because we want people to understand and be able to know the difference between a, a credible source and a source that may not be as credible or that may um, you know, have, a, have an opinion or have a horse in that race. So they're, you know, they're telling a story in a certain way. That's a real challenge because so many, a lot of people aren't um, distinguishing clearly between these different sources and, and what they have to offer. Media literacy is a major issue. Uh, and I think anybody in the media realizes that. Do you think that we've done enough from the media side in educating people about what we do and how being as transparent as we possibly can? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, I would probably, I feel that we probably could do more. I mean, I, I think we Sometimes we take it for granted that people um, people are familiar with our brands, they know our work, um, but especially with uh, the younger audiences that haven't grown up with newspapers and with with a, a, a smaller number of news organizations, um, we probably should be doing more around educating them about the kind of work we do versus some of the other um, the other sources for information that they might also have access to. What's next for you? You don't have to tell me your specific project. I'm sure you're keeping it under wraps, but uh, are you working on other exciting things? I am. Um, right now, um, I'm working on a couple of projects with the USA Today investigations team. So, um, so there's always interesting work coming out of, coming out of that, that group, and it's, it's fun to be part of that. And it's fun not to be Washington or New York City-centric, isn't it? <laughs> It is, and it is one of the things that I think distinguishes the USA Today network from some of the other larger um, news organizations is that we really are, um, you know, boots on the ground in, in cities across the country. and so Big and small. Big and small, correct. And so um, when we tell a story, we're telling it with – it's being told by people who live in those communities. And so that gives us what we feel is, is, is an advantage – um, we don't fly in, spend a couple of days, even a couple of weeks, you know, pulling a story together and then fly out. Uh, these, these journalists live in these communities. They've been covering these communities for years and years and years. And that, that was one of the things that um, specifically to the wall, um, it was actually a, um, one of the reporters in Las Cruces, New Mexico, really tiny newsroom, who was able to make some connections for us on the, you know, on the other side of the border for some of the stories that we were able to tell around human smuggling. So, so just having people who have built up those relationships um, over the course of time and have credibility in those communities, it really allows us to tell some very authentic stories. Stories and sources. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the bread and butter of journalism. That's right. That's right. Annette, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Today, we've been talking about multimedia storytelling and cooperative journalism as the wave of the future with Annette Mead of the USA Today Storytelling Studio and the Gannett Innovation Lab. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. 
We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets.